This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, this is Owen Jones. This is the Cheerful Election Daily. T minus 20 days. In three weeks' time you will know what the results of the general election are. Just to concentrate minds there. But to quote the philosopher, a very wise philosopher, Ellie Goulding, anything could happen, anything could happen, anything... She says it five times, actually, in the chorus. I'm just checking. I've Googled it. It is now, I think, the bit where people actually really think, blimey, here's the general, I say blimey too much, apologies. This is, this is a huge election now, uh, which is going to decide the future of this country. And what the polling, interestingly, the latest polling shows that 40% of people, of voters, could still change their mind in the next few weeks, with Lib Dems the most likely to say they'll change their mind. That is all to play for, but Labour have got a long way to go because even though they were more behind at this point last time, they are about 10 points behind on average. They've got a mountain to climb. And this is certainly a David versus Goliath scenario. Now, before I've got quite an interesting podcast today. I'm not trying to say contrast that with, with the usual. But if you like the podcast, please leave some stars. If you like, leave a rating. Um unless you hate it, in which case, you know, you'll probably just put a minor dent in my day, put me in a, just, you know, at a time like this, I need, I need, I need all the support I can get. That's very me, me, me. This is a team effort. It's a collective effort. Um, so what I'm going to do today is talk to someone called Matt Zarb Cousin, who is the former press spokesperson of Jeremy Corbyn, uh, quite a while ago, and also someone who, uh, has fought, uh, against an injustice, someone I'm very, very proud to know and count as a friend. I'm also going to take you canvassing. I'm going to take you into the freezing bitter cold of the London night. Uh, you'll probably just be wrapped up warm in, in, in a very smug fashion, I would imagine, uh, in your duvet or something. Uh, but I, I, I will be, I will be out there taking one for the team. But just before I do all of that, the Labour manifesto. So. I'd say the last Labour manifesto was a historic moment because I grew up in a world in which the idea of you just let the markets run riot, uh, you roll back the state, you slash taxes on the rich and the big businesses, uh, you treat education as a commodity, not a right. All those sorts of things were just, it was like the weather. Anyone who even dissented from that kind of got slightly odd looks, like the eccentric guy in a pub who's a bit wide-eyed who you want to kind of keep away from. And it was that sense of there is no alternative. And that, that I think was shattered in the last election by Labour's manifesto, which said, actually, this isn't inevitable. And actually, you can ask those at the top to pay more money uh, to invest in things. You can bring utilities, you know, instead of ta- taking them as, treating them as cash cows for profiteers, maybe they could be run by the people instead. 
But this is the new manifesto, which is taking it it's it, to a next level. Corbynism 2.0, if you like. And in particular, this manifesto uh, is about tackling the climate emergency, which, no biggie guys, but is an existential threat which could destroy all of us. But trying to take, treat it as an opportunity by uh, taxing the big polluters, the gas uh, and oil companies, uh, to create a million jobs in renewable energy, mass insulation of homes, which will take on fuel poverty as well as uh, take on the climate emergency, uh, to reforest our rural areas, all sorts of things to transform this country, make it a more pleasant and green green place to live. Also, and this, I am, this is, I mean, I'm nerdy in lots of ways. I was going to say this is my nerdy aspect. That's quite a few. But I think there's an, sometimes an excessive fixation with trains. I spend a lot of time on trains. It, it's quite a bit of experience because our trains are an absolute humiliation. They're fragmented. They're a ripoff. Sometimes it's cheaper to get a plane out the country than travel by train in your own country uh, where you're pressed against someone's sweaty armpit. We've all been there, maybe a bit too much at uh, this time of the morning, if you're, that's when you're listening, but we've all been in that situation. Um, and that is bad. We need to bring them back under public ownership. But buses, bloody buses, buses are crap outside of London. Really, in most places, there are exceptions in Edinburgh and Nottingham, they're under municipal ownership, and they're not. But a lot of places, they're crap. They are really expensive. They're infrequent. A load of routes are completely cancelled. Some places, you might as well get a taxi, and a lot of poorer people are forced to do that, which is just a complete waste of their money. So Labour committed to say that councils will be encouraged to bring them under public ownership, under 25 to get free bus travel, um, and uh, a lot of rural routes will be reinstated. More of that. Those are the sorts of things which matter to people. Buses, 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 and dentistry. I've already gone about dentistry in an earlier episode. So there's lots in there, but what I'm going to do now is take you to meet Matt Zarb cousin, uh, who used to work for Jeremy Corbyn. He's done more to take on injustice in his life than most people do, and actually fought to change the law in a way that will, I'd say, transform lives. Um, but I want to talk to him about the manifesto, but I want to take you behind the scenes as well, because he's dealt, it was his job to deal with the British media and press. That's a biggie for the Labour leadership at the moment, with not the most favourable of media environments. So I'm going to take you behind the scenes and talk to him about what what they're actually up against. So I'm only bloody well with Matt as our cousin. Extra- oh, yeah. So Matt, there's so many ways of describing you, right? Because you worked for Jeremy Corbyn. I did. Uh, as his press spokesperson. Yep. Uh, you're also someone who's led a very successful campaign to change the laws on gambling. Yes. Quickly, go on. Yeah, we, yeah we, uh, we, well, we campaigned against fixed odds betting terminals to get the stake down from £100 a spin down to £2, and we were successful, and that came into force in April this year. And actually, very, very delighted to see in the Labour manifesto that they've committed to a new gambling act, which Woo-hoo! is that's great. So something more to look forward to in this Labour government. See? And this is an actual doer. It's not just some guy babbling behind a microphone. Hiya. It's someone who's actually, actually genuinely done something to change lives. Who was the guy who said, all you do, Owen, I was in the right stuff, wasn't it? We phoned in. All you do, Owen, is sit there and write. It's my job. Yeah, it was uh, an 80-year-old guy who was quite keen on Boris Johnson, which is weird because all Boris Johnson was also a journalist. So, right, um, what are we going to talk about? So, the manifesto. So we're now sitting in this kind of, we're sitting with a load of other sort of lefty people. The manifesto has just dropped. 
What are your highlights? And how important is this moment? Go and start with your highlights. My highlights, uh, I think definitely the green industrial revolution, definitely the tax, the windfall tax on the energy companies uh, to pay for massive, massive investment strategy uh, across the entire country to effectively make Britain, I think, a world leader in green technology and in uh, renewable energy. And, you know, it's going to be a huge, huge strides forward to meeting the zero carbon emissions by 2030 and... Uh, this is something that is it's an existential threat to humanity and I think we have to take a lead as a country and having a progressive party in government and a leader like Jeremy Corbyn, I think that's, this is something that has to be prioritised and I think you know the country really does care about climate change, particularly with you know, the raising of the profile of the issue over the last year specifically. So I think it will resonate very well and particularly around the economic benefits of doing that. Uh, reorientating, reorganising the economy in that way. I think the NHS is going to feature massively in this election. I think particularly with Donald Trump coming to Britain uh, for the NATO summit early December, I think the 3rd of December is coming, it just really does bring bring to life this attack line that I think is landing particularly well, resonating with people that Boris Johnson will do a trade deal with Donald Trump. Because what were they chanting at the... They were chanting, of course, NHS not for sale at yeah. the, uh, the launch of the manifesto. Yeah, I think that's, honestly, that's that was probably my highlight, is the not for sale, because I think that's really going to catch on now. And that's going to potentially define the, the election. And, you know, it's something that, uh, re- you know, it, it speaks to people who are concerned about the type of Brexit that Boris Johnson mm-hmm. wants to pursue, which would leave us very vulnerable and in a very weak position negotiating with Europe and then negotiating with the US. Um, Donald Trump hasn't ruled out the NHS being on the table in those trade negotiations. Boris Johnson can't rule it out. Um, He's tried to, but he can't do it convincingly. So I think that is really going to define this election. And I think even people who don't follow politics are concerned about it. So it's definitely cutting through. Right, so... Last election was a game of two halves. First bit was pretty bad for Labour. You had doff local election results. Just it, it looked like Labour were going to get absolutely smashed. In fact, I can see the polling for this time uh, at, at this particular stage uh, of the election campaign where Labour were 18 points behind, 20 points behind, 14, 15 and a couple of 13s. But when the manifesto came out, it kind of banged and it, and it cut through. And then you've got a lot of enthusiasm. But do you think it can do that again? Because the, obviously these po- policies are very popular, like scrapping tuition fees, taxing the top 5% uh, to invest in services, public ownership. And obviously now you've got new stuff like reversing the pay cuts that nurses and firefighters and, and teachers have suffered. Uh, the green industrial revolution, for example, yeah. and you know things like bus services, which you know public local public ownership, free under twenty fives bus travel, and all the rest of it. Like there's some really big new stuff, but is it going to be the same impact? Because a lot of it, do you think, is it priced in? What do you reckon? I think it will have the same impact. I, I know what you mean. It's it, before the manifesto launch in 2017. Um, people were very intrigued about what Jeremy Corbyn was going to come up with. Uh, for different reasons. Obviously, from our perspective, it was like, oh, this is going to be one of the most progressive manifestos this country has ever seen. From the perspective of 
the right wing media it was oh what can we ridicule but actually when it was leaked and they did try to ridicule it it was just giving a platform to very popular policies which enabled those to cut through to people even more so look I think the policies would be very popular I think people are now more informed as an electorate than they've ever been I think people do their own research they actually read the manifestos they see what people what parties stand for um, and I think these issues and these policies are going to come up again and again uh, in debates, in the leaders' debates, uh, they're going to be obviously new announcements and events every day. So yes, I do think that they will cut through, and I think that the offer that that Labour's put forward is going to be completely contrasted by the Conservatives. Uh, I think it's the only party that's going to put forward a coherent alternative to the status quo. And I think we saw that in in the debates mm-hmm. with Boris Johnson. Every every time a question came up about anything else. It was back to, I'm going to get Brexit done. Mm. That's all they... It's like Theresa May again, strong and stable. You know, it's and people are already laughing about it, aren't they? Yeah. They laughed it in the, when people start laughing at strong and stable, you knew, oh, it's backfired. Right, so you had to deal with the press when you worked for Jeremy Corbyn. I did. Tell, give people a kind of insight as to what it's like. You've got the Labour leadership. Most of the press are no fans of them. They're mostly editorially they support the Conservatives, the vast majority of the press. That's right. The Sun, the Times, the Mail, the Express, the Telegraph, the FT, the last election. What what it's a kind of day-to-day struggle in terms of the election campaign now they're under, what what is it like and what are the challenges they get getting a message across when they're surrounded by journalists who aren't maybe that kind of well disposed or their editors anyhow? Yeah, so th- this is an interesting question. So I, I don't. For me, it's not a personal thing. I don't like dislike any of them on a personal level, but I think that it's the on a on a structural level. You've got obviously Westminster, and then you've got what's called the press lobby, and the press lobby is a few dozen journalists. Each paper, newspaper has three or four uh, journalists, uh, literally working within Westminster. And obviously they're wanting to justify their presence there and their role as political reporters. So inevitably they get sucked into this kind of vortex of, um, I'd say like it's like commentating in a way that is more similar to reporting on show business or celebrities. Mm -hmm. It's like very character orientated. Mm -hmm. It's very... Um, personality driven Mm -hmm. they're obsessed with personalities and the machinations of who's trying to do over who and all this sort of stuff the policies get sort of lost in all of that Um, the actual relationship between politics and its impact on people's lives is lost in Mm -hmm. that malaise and what then happens is they're, because they perceive Jeremy Corbyn as an illegitimate leader of a political party, of the opposition, of a, an illegitimate prospective prime minister, when he announces policies, they assume that the country is going to sort of recoil in horror. Uh, but actually, people, you know, they, all of these policies resonate with, with mm-hmm. people very much. And we saw that last time. All the polling showed that they were very, very popular. So because of their preconceptions about Jeremy Corbyn and how they think he is perceived and it doesn't fit their their preconceived idea of what a leader should look like and how a leader should behave they immediately write off Labour and they did this last time in the last election and they're going to continue to do it but I think Jeremy Corbyn did a very good job today of reframing that as look these newspapers are owned by billionaires 
of course they're going to try to resist these policies. We've tried to, you know, these these have these have been uh, these have been prohibited by the, the ruling class for for many decades. A couple of things. So last time around, his Jeremy Corbyn's rating started his personal ratings off started bad and then went up during the campaign. And since then, I mean, again, a lot of it is just savage, unrelenting media attack, which is definitely part of it. They've gone down again. That is still a challenge for Labour because what happens is a lot of people like the policies a lot and then it gets mixed. And sometimes they can't, it's quite hard because when they stay on the doorstep, they don't like him. They can't even sometimes come up with a reason. What do you think they should do in the last three weeks to try and turn that around? What kind of strategy do you think needs to be deployed? I think what's happened in the last, since, certainly since the last election, and actually when I was working for Jeremy Corbyn and, and before then also, is a, a campaign of uh, delegitimisation uh, against Jeremy Corbyn and against the, the leadership and the Labour Party for moving left, for moving in a socialist direction. And what's actually, what, it, what actually involves that is telling people what to think, is telling people this is a person that you shouldn't vote for. And what an election does, I think, is it, it reorientates that. It's, people are no longer looking uh, for reasons to dislike politicians, which is their kind of mm-hmm. default setting. They're looking for reasons to support a polit- particular party and they, they make their minds up based on the information mm-hmm. that they have. And I think gone are the days now of the media and establishment institutions being able to tell people what to think. I just don't think that that's possible anymore. I think uh, I think the message really has to be: don't let the establishment media and don't let vested interests tell you how to vote. Mm-hmm. It's a patronising thing, you know. It's uh, that they're trying to pursue here. They're yeah. trying to they're trying to get you to vote against your own interests. Look at this manifesto. Look at these policies. These policies are there because of the leader, uh, because of the way the direction the party's gone in because of that leader, and they will make you better off. They will make them 95% of people better off. Finally, right. So, a lot of the story's been about Remainers who fled Labour, Philip Dems, and to a lesser extent, the Greens. And the evidence shows actually some of them are actually coming back now in quite significant numbers. The Lib Dems, we're going to have this big surge, we were told. That hasn't happened. They're crashing. Uh, you know, and Labour still need to win quite a lot of those back still, if they're going to have yeah. any hope. But the other story is about Leavers, People who voted Labour in 2017 and voted Leave a year before, they actually seem to be far stickier in yeah. terms of in terms of having moved away from Labour. What? How are they going to manage to straddle that? Well, so the Lib Dems never underestimate their ability to shoot themselves in the face, <laughs> and they've already started to do that. Where you know, Ed Davey um, and Philip Lee not ruling out coalitions with the Conservatives, it looks like they're. they're sort of positioning themselves to if there's a if there's a hung parliament they will agree to a coalition with Boris Johnson for round two great a second referendum I mean it was such a success last time why not yeah and and and, and I think uh, this is going I mean at least they're honest this time before the election they says they're saying this is their intentions at least they're being Mm -hmm. honest um I just don't I think that's going to put off a hell of a lot of people I think a lot of the born progressive Lib Dems will come back to Labour because of that they want to keep Boris Johnson out they don't want to they want him in government. So, and the polling shows that most Lib Dems would prefer a Labour government to yeah. a Tory government, which is not a shocker. But no, exactly. Um, so I think I think 
the, the weakness of their campaign and the way they position themselves will will help Labour will play into our hands anyway. On on the Leave side, because um, you grew up where you grew up, very very quite significantly for Leave, didn't it? In essence, South End, yeah, South it, End. Did. it did. I still live there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's look. I I think Leavers tend to yes, they voted Leave given a choice, obviously in a referendum that was obviously called by David Cameron. People, you know, people looked at Leave versus Remain. They looked at the options. Some people voted Leave. Mm-hmm. They didn't get radicalised by the fact that they put an X in the ballot, the ballot paper next to leave. They didn't become didn't become their main issue and their main concern. And I think that's what's happened is the me- the media has really amplified the extremes in this debate uh, and made that look like this is all remainers and all leavers. And actually, what it what the polling does show is that most leavers value public services more than they do Brexit. So I think what Labour has to do in the next few weeks is communicate what their strategy is around investing in public services, what that would mean for the NHS, what Boris Johnson's Brexit deal would mean for the NHS potentially. And the, uh, I think the Green Industrial Revolution, a lot of this, a lot of these new jobs will be, because will lead to, because of investment in areas that have been left behind and the areas that voted leave because of that. They haven't felt like they've kept pace. Their area, their town has kept pace with the economic development in the city of London. Mm. They feel like that's miles away. So Labour has to communicate that and has to communicate that in the regions and I'm, you know, I'm optimistic that it will. Finally, how are you feeling? Election-wise, three... Well, now it's... By the time this comes out, yeah. 20 days, isn't it? Yeah. It's not long, is it? We're going to fucking win. Oh! <laughs> he's a cocky little fellow, isn't he? Yeah, we're going to win. We're going to win. Yeah. I really believe we are. Jeremy Corbyn will be Prime Minister by Christmas. Corbyn by Christmas. Corbyn by Christmas. Socialism's coming. Socialism's coming. Socialism. That's been a pleasure. Yeah, likewise, mate. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. What did I tell you? Lovely bloke with completely uncontainable and contagious hope and optimism. Now, the Conservative Party have several advantages. They have, as we've discovered, uh, most of the British press on their side in quite an active way. Most of them are acting as campaigning organisations for the Conservative Party. They've also got a lot of rich people, and I mean a lot of rich people uh, with a lot of dosh, and they are splashing that handsomely on the Conservative Party. So uh, according to uh, the official donations that have been released, in the first week of the general election, the Lib Dems got £275,000. Labour, and this is donations, Labour got £218,500. The Conservative Party got £5,673,646 in their bank accounts from wealthy donors. Now, these people do not give money because they don't think they're going to get something back. It is a business investment. They know a Tory government is going to stand up for them and represent their interests. And they've got good reason to do that because that's what the Tories do in government. They slash taxes on the rich. They privatise things and hand things over uh, to rich donors. They let the city run riot. Now, you look at that and might feel a bit hopeless and think, eesh, how on earth are they going to be able to overcome all of those advantages? And the one thing Labour, and Labour had to say, they're up against it. And there's things Labour, I think, have to have to change. I think there needs to be a bit more fight, uh, even though, you know, we discussed in an earlier episode that I thought Jamie Corbyn came up on top uh, of the leadership debate and uh, the undecided voters broke very heavily for 
in his favour on those grounds. But, you know, need to be gloves off taking on the Tories uh, in the in the final bit if they want to if they want to overcome huge odds. But the one advantage Labour really have is a mass membership. And you'll hear this a lot uh, amongst Labour circles that it's the biggest political party by membership in, in Western Europe. And what they're trying to do now is mobilise those people in across the country, get them canvassing, knocking on doors, talking to people. Now, what I want to do now is get you to meet some of those people. And you, some of you might think a bit of an odd thing to do. You know, maybe you feel the idea of knocking on a stranger's door and talking to them is quite an intimidating experience, which it isn't, by the way. But I'm just going to get you to, to meet people who do this. Uh, and this is going to be in uh, the two cities constituency in central London. And I'm going to meet them in Pimlico. And I'm going to bring my brand new scarf because it's very cold. I'm standing in the middle of an estate in Pimlico. It is so cold. It is a bit nippy. It is very, very, very cold. Who am I speaking to? Kiva. Age? (laughs) 22. So, come on, tell me, how did you start knocking on doors? Um, oh gosh, what, the first time ever? Um, it was in uh, 2015. I wasn't a Labour member yet, but um, I just really wanted the Tories out after five years of austerity. It's quite a... a f- quite a, like Some people go, oh, that's a bit weird, knocking on doors, talking to people about politics. Were you quite scared when you first did it? Um, I was quite scared, but I didn't feel that it was weird at all, really, especially after the first time knocking. I think sometimes online it seems that everyone is so set in their viewpoints and everyone sort of has their opinions and you can't really change them. But actually, I find that talking to people on the doors, you meet so many people who are undecided and want to talk to people about what the best options are. And if you can present them with, you know, a a plan for what comes next, I think that can really inspire people to go out and vote. Some people would think, Oh, people just be that so, you know, they'll slam the door in your face just because they're like, that's so rude. It's politics is so personal. Does that happen very often or do people actually want to talk about things normally? Um, I don't think it happens very often at all, really. Um, I've maybe come across one rude person in four years. And I would say, you know, if you are worried about sort of having the door slammed in your face, I mean, it's it's not very common and actually far more it is people who are willing to have a chat and if they don't want to have a chat with you right then they'll take a leaflet you know you could go back later no one's ever set the dogs on you <laughs> not yet not yet don't don't put that you know out there <laughs> and in this election why because you're spending a lot of time knocking on doors why does it make a big difference do you think and what difference does it make i definitely think it makes a big difference i feel that if you talk to people especially if you you know are with um the candidate or just people who are you know enthused about the labor party you know in general if you go and knock on doors then people who think maybe that politics isn't for them or that you know they're sort of marginalized in some way and that people don't care about their opinions they feel that they you know they are being listened to and that um people do need them individually it's for people who think oh my one vote doesn't matter well it does we're knocking on your door we're trying to get your vote anastasia that's Hi. your name it is my name say it again <laughs> <laughs> so come on the first time you knocked on the door was when was it going to say the first time i knocked on the door was polling day 2017 and i <gasps> went to battersea for marcia de cordova but what really inspired me to go on the doors that day was i'd been following jeremy corbyn's plans and ideals for a long time and I'd seen what momentum were doing, but I just hadn't had the courage to go and get involved. And then polling day was like now or never. 
And so, yeah, I went to Battersea and had the time of my life and I've been involved since. And Labour won that seat, so that was down to you, really? Well, I was down to the hundreds of activists that showed up on that day. It was a huge... And consistently, those turnouts have been matched across London and we're seeing that again in this general election, not just London, but across the country as well. Why should people do it? I think the biggest reason is empathy, like if you care... If you care about your family members, your relatives, or even your next door neighbours, or just generally people and ending austerity measures which are killing people, like this is literally a choice between fascism and ending austerity. Does people ever really change their minds on the doorstep, ever? Does that ever, have you seen that happen? 100%. Just last night I was in Harrow East and I knocked, my last door that I knocked on was a woman who was in her 70s and she'd been a Tory voter her entire life and she was undecided for the first time ever because of the debate and she was now leaning towards Labour and I have a really strong suspicion that she will vote Labour and that's down to all of these persuasive conversations. It gave a little push. It did, it did, definitely. Now, Anastasia, we've not on quite a lot of doors across the country together. A lot of doors, everywhere. We have a little song, don't we? We do have a little song. Should we just sing it quickly? Yeah. Don't blame it on the sunshine. Don't Don't blame blame it on on the moonlight. Blame it on the good times. Blame Blame it on on the the Tories. Beautiful. Ahmed, right? So, knocking on doors, what made you want to do it? Because you're, you're 28 now. I am 28. A lot of people just think, be in your 20s, have fun, get on with your life. It is, but it's been 10 years of this shit, so there's only so much bitching you can do on a dinner table, so you have to go off and do something about it if you have, so. Do you think that having all those people, because the Tories have quite a lot on their side, haven't they, money, press, so what do you think, why is this important? Um, that we need to galvanise and actually get up and do something and we may not have as much money or as much support from the press but we can actually go out there and do something about it speak to the people, speak to the electorate and try and make a difference And what for you is the big, big issue in this election? The big issue? Um, how long is a piece of string? Like I don't think I could say it in this but what's happening to our NHS um, for one... Um, I've seen the things that have happened to it via family and it's not great it's not great they've been systematically shooting it in the foot over the last decade and we need to do something about it and secure it really cheers buddy right we're going to go to the pub now aren't we big tip listen to the little voices having a great time out there fighting to stop the country being consumed with calamity but also to fight for something and You know, if you don't want to just yell incoherent fury at the radio every time Boris Johnson appears, and I'm I'm not saying it's either or, by the way, it's very therapeutic, do keep doing it. But if you actually think, you know, you want to have an impact, maybe make history, then go out there, you know, and and get in touch with your local party and see maybe about knocking on doors. They always pay with people. It's not what you expect. It's something, you know, if this is all turned around by this sort of people power against the vested interests who think this election's in the bag, then that's something you can tell your kids, your grandkids, who knows, your great-grandkids, if we manage to stop the planet being destroyed by the climate emergency. That's chirpy. So, when will you next hear me? I will be back on Monday, probably. Monday. Unless something big happens at the weekend. Who knows? Maybe it's it's the big game changer we've all been waiting for. Uh, But... Unless there's some massive big biggie, I will be back then. We've got so I've got some interesting stuff lined up. Uh, the roller coaster continues, but it's been a real pleasure. Keep warm and uh, keep the hope, keep the optimism, 
keep fighting if you can and I'll see you then Election Daily is produced by the cheerful team including Jeff Lloyd Emma Corsham Joe Kenyon and Joel Pearce with music from Pete Frazier Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.